Good morning, church. Happy Sabbath. I was mentioning during first service how um, for my family it's difficult to come to church when it's cloudy. I don't like the clouds. I'm not a fan of rain. Uh, so we were pulling in. True story. My son says from the back, Papa, this feels like a funeral. <laughs> and I was like, what? Well, a couple weeks ago, we attended a funeral, and it was raining. So he's like, I'm in a, I'm in a suit. It's raining. Must be a funeral. But that's not the case. In fact, uh, Despite what the weather says, the Bible promises that when we gather together, God is there. When God is present, clouds can melt away. Darkness and rain can be pushed away. Instead, God gives us his presence. Do you believe that? The song that we just sung is our, what we call our song of the month. It's a song we're trying to teach you and we're trying to learn together. And the words there of the chorus is, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, a verse there that comes from what we've been studying in the book of Genesis. So I want you to go with me. We're going to get right to it. I'm rolling up my sleeves. We're going to do some Bible reading today. Genesis chapter uh, 1. We are in Genesis chapter 1. We discussed last week how uh, God intended for us to be made in his likeness. And in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that God spoke to himself and said, let us make man in our image. And then we find in chapter 2, uh, God essentially doing that. Let's follow along with me here in chapter 2, beginning with the verse 4. Read with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. I want to make sure that you are um, getting into the word. It's a tactile experience or in your iPhone. That, that's fine too. Okay. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. I'm going to read fast. You follow along with me. This is what it says. And this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When God, the Lord God, made the earth and the heaven, no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Somebody say amen. If you're from San Diego, you're like, amen, right? I know some people like rain. Some of y'all are from like the Pacific Northwest, and this is like your happy day. I, I appreciate that. Um, but the Bible says <laughs> when God created the heaven and the earth, he had not seen rain yet. Instead, there were streams that came up from the earth, and they watered the surface of the ground. There was water underneath, and we did not need clouds, and we did not need darkness. It just came up from the earth, the Bible says, and <clears throat> it watered the whole surface. Verse 7, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of? The breath of life. And the man became a living being. See, this is the way the Bible describes our origin story. This is what the, the way the Bible says we began. Now, why is this important? Obviously, we've been talking about it. We're going to continue to talk about it in a sense because I think it's important for us to understand where we came from if we were to understand where we're going. And what I just read to you seems ludicrous in light of what society says about you and me today. Our current cultural context thinks about life and the origin of life very differently from what we just read. Right? Science says, there's a number of theories, the Big Bang Theory, evolution theory, some combination thereof, uh, trying to figure out, trying to understand where we came from, how we came to be. But the Bible proposes a biblical theory. In fact, it is a God theory. And it says, as we read, in the beginning, God, and that God, who made the earth, came 
and put his hands on the earth and formed man, and then he breathed a breath of life into his nostrils. That's a very different origin story than what evolution suggests, or even the Big Bang. It's a very different origin story. And like I said, you know, uh, for those of us that want to believe in the Bible or claim this as our origin, it puts us at odds with the rest of culture. And yet, if we are to understand where we're going, I think it's important for us to understand how we came to be. God says here in the story related in Genesis that he forms of, uh, both of material, earth, and breath. And that is how life exists. Right? Science understands that without breath, you are just a corpse. Right? And we try to understand the process, but the one thing we cannot do is replicate the origin of life. No matter how hard we try, as I mentioned to you before, no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to merge material and breath because breath comes from God. It originates from God. So the Bible claims. So when we sing, it is your breath in our lungs, that's what, we're, that's what we're professing, that this life that you and I have comes from God the Father, that it is his breath that now is in our lungs. Do you believe that? Take, take a breath. You feel that? That ability that you just exercised, Modern science is trying to recreate that, but they cannot. The Bible says, I have a different theory, <laughs> that breath comes from God. Amazing that God would take material and form, the Bible says here, dusts of the ground, and then he breathed. See, when God in made mankind, he intended to create something that he would love. So he said, in Genesis 1 we read, let us make man in our image, and he created us with his own hands, and he put his own breath into us. And we began to live. We read this last week, but I'm just going to go for it. And, and, and God planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed, and God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of the life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river watering the garden flowed from Eden... There's different names of the river. Verse 15, and God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And as Pastor Kayla uh, let us know, our original intention or definition of work wasn't like what we're dealing with now. It was something else, something probably a lot nicer. And God said to the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. God begins our story by forming us and giving us his touch. He forms us and giving us his breath, a part of himself. It is that thing that is causing your heart to pump now. And then God begins our story by blessing us with an endless bounty of food, good fruits. And all we had to do was pick it and eat it. I don't know if you've ever um, been to an orchard, gone apple picking, or, or lived on a farm, uh, or maybe you've watched farm-to-table commercials. <laughs> uh, that's what you do in San Diego, right? Farm-to-table. You guys know what that means? Okay. 
so restaurants are farm to table. They say, oh, directly from the farm to the table. And they have these commercials, and there's somebody walking through some fields, and they pick something, and they, mm, they bite it, and they're like, yes, it's that fresh, it's that real. Well, that was our, our job initially. That's how we were supposed to, we're supposed to stroll through the Garden of Eden, and, you know, we were not going to suffer for it. It was just God was providing. So God begins our story by blessing and blessing. And I want you to notice here, you are free to eat of any tree God has given us. How many trees do you think there were there in the beginning? God is blessing us. So he begins our story by giving us and giving us and giving us. Himself, his likeness, his breath, his touch, his design, and his blessings. That is how God begins our story. And one more thing he gives us is choice. The one thing that separates us from the rest of the created world, this ability to make a choice. As a species, that's the one defining characteristic. Yes, we are sometimes bound by habits, but we are also capable of forming habits by choice or breaking habits by choice. It is not simply instinct that takes over. It is the choices that we form that become our instinct. And the Bible says here that God tells man and woman, he says, you can eat of any tree except this one because that one represents choice, the choice to know good and evil, to, to, to have an experience of what these two things are. And as long as you stay away from that, you are blessed. You're going to have all the food you want, you're going to live under my care, my protection, and my design. But stay away from that. You know what happened. We read this last week. And Pastor Kayla noted here when, when she talked about it a couple weeks ago that when God created man, he didn't just create one. He created a suitable for one another, compatible with one another. And the Bible says <clears throat> man looked at woman and said, whoa, man, this is cool. And, and then they were together. And the Bible says that they were one flesh. So I want you to notice from the very beginning in God's design, before we were formed, that in the mind of God, he created us relationally. You, you have to track with me, right? In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. And when he began to form them, the Bible says that he created mankind, male and female, later described as suitable for one another, compatible, relatable to one another. Yes, there is that thing nowadays called the battle of the sexes, right? There's that thing, men are from where? Mars, women are from Nordstrom's. No, um, there's this thing where we've tried to figure out, but initially we were not identical, but we were suitable and compatible because we were created in the same way that God is suitable and compatible with himself. Let us make men in our image. See, God's creative work exercises his relational nature. You with me so far? Okay. So that's what God intended. And the Bible tells us that he put man in the garden, woman in the garden, and then he said, as I told you last week, and by the way, <laughs> um, somebody, we shall remain nameless, uh, at the end of the last sermon said, Pastor, the only thing I got from your sermon is that I should get pregnant. And I was like, yes, but wait till you get married first, because not right now. 
As the Bible says, when man was put in the garden, God, God blessed him and says, work the garden. And he says, and go be fruitful and multiply, multiply. And we are blessed. We are blessed. We are multiplying as we speak. The Smiths are here today and they brought their baby boy. Carter has been born. I totally want to do the Simba thing for you. <laughs> totally. So um, praise God. You are following his commandments. Be fruitful and multiply. But wait till you get married. <laughs> but the cool thing about it is that if you see it, God's intention, he always created us to be in relationship, in community. Be fruitful, multiply, suitable, relatable to one another in his likeness. We talked about the last couple of weeks how there are some things about God that he not intend for us to share. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his ability to know things. Those are attributes that remain with God. But there is something more unique that he gave us that is exactly like him. And it is this, this ability to commune, to relate. Think about it. Uh, um, we have this ability that is different from any other species. Think about it just for a second. Uh, they say that a dog is a man's best friend, right? And, and in some ways, you know, that's, it's a well-earned title. We have two little puppies at home. They're not puppies anymore. Uh, and, and maybe you do or you have some sort of pet. And, and what's cool about this pet is that it gives you companionship, right? Uh, more and more popular these days is the idea of a, what's called a moral support. Is that what it's called? Emotional support animal. Y'all read the story about the man who brought a duck on the plane as an emotional support animal and they didn't understand. But, it, but he, won the, 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 he won the argument and was able to carry emotional support. Yes, they can give you emotional support. You know, there's a comforting presence. Uh, some say, you know, dogs are such great companions. Some say, no, cats are better, right? Uh, I don't know. You can have your, your, dif your, your different opinions on that. But the thing is, when you come home to your dog, your cat, the one thing they can show you that is unique is like this unconditional love and acceptance, right? They love you. But when you talk to them, they look at you like they understand, right? That's what's cool. My dog looks at me and, and she's like, yeah, me too. I had a hard day. Well, she looks at me like that. But can she really relate to what I'm going through? Is she capable of understanding my moral dilemmas? Uh, does she have a wife and kids? I mean, uh, you know, does she understand uh, having to work? And uh, she's a dog. There are some things she can express to me, but but in in ways that I wish were possible. That's why there's movies made, and we dream up these movies where dogs can talk, right? They can tell us, you know. No, I, I really don't want to be here. I'm only wagging my tail because I have to. Um, that's what we dream about. But they can't. And yet we were created with that particular ability, the ability to relate, communicate and relate. Why? Because that's what God intended. It's there from the very beginning. Let us make men in our image. And he created a suitable, compatible with another. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. We were designed to create community because God is community 
And yet, of course, you know, we read this last week in chapter 3, um, that the serpent came along and said, Do you, are you sure that's what you want? Is that really what, what you want? In chapter 3, we read this. I'll go real quick. Uh, Adam and Eve were walking because they were walking through the garden, picking stuff and eating and just enjoying. And the serpent comes and it says, Did God really say you must not eat any of the tree of the garden? And the woman says, We can eat of any of the trees except this one, except this one. We can, do, we can do everything except this one. We have one job. <laughs> we have one job. And, we, and we're not supposed to touch it or we will die. And the serpent says, verse 4, chapter 3, you will not die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. He says, he uses the words, you will be like God, uh, to tempt us to believe it's similar to God's intention to be in his likeness. But it is not. It is, it is different. Rather to be in God's likeness, he is suggesting that we could be as God, like God lateral to God as you know we talked about this before <clears throat> and the serpent says are you sure that's what you want are you sure you want to be in community with God what if I could offer you another way where you don't need him when you could do this on your own and the Bible tells us that the woman saw the fruit of the tree, was good, pleasing to the eye, desirable for getting wisdom, took some of it, ate of it. And then her husband was there, and he ate it as well. And their eyes were open, and they realized, they were finally able to sort of understand what God has been trying to protect them from, their nakedness, and then they, they were afraid, and they hid. And the man and his wife heard the sound the Lord was making in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from him. And the Bible tells us right there at the very beginning that God never, never, never started by running away from us. More often than not, I hear people talk about when they talk about relationship, they say, I feel like God is far from me. I don't know. I'm not close to him. I don't know. How do I find God? But the thing is, we're the ones who've been hiding from the very beginning. God was never far. His intention was always to be close, to be in community. That's how we were made, to be in connection. And the Bible tells us here that he's walking. We talked about this. Like he's walking in the cool garden because that's what he does. That's what a father does. He says, hey, let's go for a walk. So he has this habit of being physically present, physically, emotionally, relationally present with mankind. And he's walking in the garden, and, and they hear him, they're afraid, and they run. Man hides from God, still does. And God says, where are you? And the man says, I heard you, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? This is review. It says, well, uh... What happened was, and God says, have you eaten from the tree? Like I told you, the one, you had one job. And he says, well, the, remember the woman? The woman that uh, you, you remember that part? You gave me. I didn't ask. You said that I was not good enough alone. And you decided you were going to give me somebody to help me. Well, she helped. And this is, so this, this is on you. And God says to the woman, what have you done? And she says, uh, look, the serpent deceived me, all right? It's not my fault. <laughs> the serpent, like, did a thing on me, and I, I was doing the best I could. I can't be held responsible. It's the serpent's fault. And I, I just ate it. The serpent... And so God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed above, you are above all livestock and all the wild animals, and you will crawl on your belly, eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And then he turns to the woman and he says, oh, 
I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. And you will have pain when you give birth to children. And your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Nobody likes to read that part, but it's there. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate it, even though I told you not to do it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and you will eat the plants. Read weeds here. This is how salad, this is how salad was made. <laughs> you will have to eat salad from the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. From the ground you were taken, from the dust you were made, and to dust you will return. There's a saying in Spanish called the tal palo tal astilla, and translated loosely into Spanish, I mean from Spanish into English, it's something like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Y'all ever heard of that? All right, uh, and maybe someone has said that to you, or, or told you that, or, or maybe it's something that you've used if you've had kids. Where, <clears throat> upon looking, uh, maybe physically, or maybe examining a little closer, sometimes we find that children are almost an identical reflection of their parents. Is that true for you? When people see you, they go, "Man, you look just like mom or dad," or, or you're the spitting image. I wasn't sure how that one works. You. <laughs> Then there's a kid. I don't understand how. I don't know. But it's a spitting image of your whatever. Um, there's this idea, but because it's genetics, right? You are shaped because your parents gave certain genes that formed you, and more often than not, you have some semblance to them. Sometimes we are like almost identical to our parents. Sometimes we look like them or even sound like them. And it's not a choice that we make. Uh, I always say I got these wonderful earlobes from somebody. I didn't choose them, but I got them from somebody. See that? Maybe you have some cool thing you got from somebody. It's because that's the way we were designed. We were designed to, uh, to be like in the likeness of our creator, in the likeness of our parents. Our origin story, our birth story, is about resembling and representing where we come from. But sometimes, the apple doesn't want to stay close to the tree. You follow me? When my oldest daughter was born, when she was first born, uh, uh, we were super excited. I told the first service this, and so Layla's okay. She won't freak out. Um, when she was first born, we were waiting, anticipating, you know, first-time parents. And, um, and when she came out and the, the nurses, you know, wipe her down, they take her to this little glass cube area where they put stuff on their eyes, and then you, you get to see her. Uh, I looked, and on her hand uh, was a little thing dangling like this, actually an extra digit was dangling from her finger. She had six fingers on one hand. And for most people, that would be like, oh, you know, like, what? But for me, it was like, yes. See, because I was born with six fingers on both sides. Uh, it's a genetic thing. I don't understand the science, but, you know, sometimes it's the trait that can be passed down. But when I saw this little, this little baby with a little six finger, I was like, okay, that's really, it's, she's really mine. She's really mine. It, it was a moment of great pride for me. Um, and for the six month, for the first six months of her life, I would like, oh, check it out. And I would like, I have a cast of it, with a little finger dangling. Most people get creeped out. But for me, it's like, no, that means she's, she's literally like me. 
and I was holding this baby, and uh, when she was very little, her, her head was, face was round, and uh, I just, when she was a baby, and people say, oh, she looks like you, you know, like you, you're beaming with pride, she looks like you, and I thought, oh, yes, she's going to be just like me, but obviously, if you've seen her lately, she looks nothing like me. <laughs> she's a spitting image of her mom. I don't know what happened there in, the, in those middle years. She had curly hair, a little bit like me, but suddenly she got the face shape just like her mom, sounds like her mom, acts like her mom. It's, it's like, it's uncanny. Sometimes you want your kids to be like you, but it doesn't work out that way. And it's not just biology. It's not just genetics. Sometimes you have a child in your life that no matter what you do and, and how you train them, they choose other than you. You with me? Some of us have chosen to walk away from the tree. We're the apple that fell and just kept rolling. For whatever reason, we have decided, sometimes to our detriment, sometimes to our benefit, that we do not want to be like our parents. We do not want to be in their likeness. We reject their ideas, their philosophies, sometimes their church. We reject their professions we, and we walk away. We reject their wisdom, their counsel. And that's what's happening here in chapter 3 of the book of, of Genesis. God made mankind to be like him, to reflect him. In, in, in many ways, uh, in a way that no creation, no other part of creation could. And yet, mankind decided, no. We walked away. And everything that results from them is the things that you suffer from today. Pain, having to work hard every week, eating salad is a result of walking away from the covering and blessing of God. That's our origin story. And the thing is that God could have, and, and if you read the rest of their chapter 3, God is pretty upset and he says, uh, now that man has assumed this, this role, we cannot allow him to stay in the garden and also eat of the tree of life, and then he'll live forever. So now, and then there at the end of chapter 3, he banishes man from the garden. And he casts him out, puts, a, puts an angel to guard the entrance. And the truth is, the story could have ended there. God could have said, like some earthly parents do to their children, you're on your own. I was always fascinated when I moved to the States where people would talk about that, both parents and kids. The kids say, I can't wait till I'm 18. Why? What's going to happen when you're 18? Because I'm on my own. Yeah? I can't wait to get out of here and do things that I want. And then I hear parents, I can't wait till they're 18. Why? Because they're on their own. I, in my country, it's not like that. Like, you live together for, forever. I don't, I don't know. How. 18. But like, oh, when I'm 18, I'm, in, I'm an adult. I'm independent. This idea, right? I don't need them. Or I don't want them. And it could have ended there. When man chose, man, woman chose to walk away from God, to be separated from God, it could have ended there. God could have said, all right, live with your curse. Eat your salad just out of the garden. <laughs> be gone. I'm through with you. I gave you a chance. I gave you everything. I gave you me. I gave you breath. You exist because I made you, but you don't want me? Fine. And yet God doesn't do that. There in chapter 3, hidden in those curses is a promise, not of suffering, a promise wrapped in death, but not your death. The Bible says there in chapter 3, verse 15, God says, and I will find a way. I will put enmity. He says to the serpent, which represents Satan, you, you brought this here. 
curse you. And I will bring death to you. You see it there? And the offspring of the woman, between you and the offspring of the woman, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. It's what we call them, the, the, the first prophetic mention of the plan of salvation, that Jesus would come. See, God was not content with letting us just lose everything and walk away from all the stuff that he had planned and prepared for us. He was not thrilled that we abandoned his blessing. Just like there are parents in this room who might today be heartbroken for their children who have walked away from their counsel and their relationship. And dads, moms, grandparents, what would you give to have your kids back? Right? What wouldn't you give to put them back under your protection? It's a strange feeling. I know it's fleeting too. I have, I'm a children of little ones and for the moment... I can tell my son, no, stay here. For the moment, I can say, it's going to be okay. I can embrace my son and my daughter, hug and just hug them and tell them, I'm all, I'll take care of you. I, I say that all the time. That's all right. Papa's here. You, don't, you did it too, right? We do it with babies. Daddy's here. Daddy's, you know, like, like we're here. We're here to protect you. But you know that there comes a time when they say no to that or could possibly say no. And I've been stealing myself, preparing myself for that heartbreak because I know it'll come. There'll be a day when my son will say no. See, when my son was little, I used to put him in shirts just like me. We'd come to church dressed alike. And people were like, oh, that's so cute. Today I'm like, son, you want to dress like me? He's like, no. <laughs> Six years old, already breaking my heart. It's, it's, it's our nature to want to find out our own way, to, 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 to navigate life on our own. But in doing so, we refuse and reject the provision and the design that God had put in place. And God was not willing to let it end there. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 that he, the Bible says it this way that God chose us before the foundations of the world to be adopted through Jesus Christ as sons. See at the very beginning there in chapter 3 as, as, as God is speaking what he's saying here is you're abandoning me, you're leaving, you're walking away, you will now be fatherless but I cannot allow that. My heart is broken, so I'm going to find a way to re-adopt you. And in the beginning, he put in, plan, he put in play this plan. This, this, he set in motion this idea that he would send his son, who has never left him, to take our place. Swap our place. And that through him, we would be adopted as sons. That's why the language and everything that we sing makes sense. Father to the fatherless. Defender of the weak. That's the heart of God. That's his intention. So he sends his son, and that's what, that's, that's what we're up to here. And the Bible tells us in the book of John, you can go there with me if, you, if you're in the Bible. John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says this. <clears throat> Uh, in the beginning was the Word. It's the same words that we read in Genesis. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. It repeats. The author, their New Testament, repeats essentially the same idea or logic that we heard in Genesis. That God is communal. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with. You see it? 
There's relation. There's relatability. There's community. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things are made. And if you read the rest there in chapter 1, that, that, that Word is capitalized because it's the proper pronoun. Because in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is writing about none other than Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who was God in the beginning and was with God. God, but now has come to be with us. Why? Because God did not want us to be fatherless. He refused to let his creation suffer outside of the provision of his blessing. So he says, it's too much. I will do whatever it takes. So he sends his only begotten son, the word, to come to earth, to live among us, to reveal to us the father's heart. And yes, to ultimately pay the price, the sacrifice, to make it possible for us to come back home to come back home. Jesus is living among us now. The book of John. He states it over and over again. John chapter 3, 16. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He does it over again. He says... He's doing the Father's will, and He has come to reveal the Father's will. And the Father's will is that none would be lost, that no one would remain fatherless, no one would be orphaned, but that all could return. And He says in John chapter 14, He says to His disciples and to anyone who would listen, including you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me, but, but it's possible. Come through Me. I will lead you back to the Father. That's what Jesus' sacrifice means. And you know that he did die and pay the price for our sins. It's, you know, it's, it's the plan of salvation from, from Genesis 3, 15 in, in real life taking place. But here's what I found really unique about this. As Jesus is preparing, uh, this is John <clears throat> uh, chapter 17. As Jesus is preparing uh, to go through this last bit of suffering before the cross, he, he spends time in prayer. And he begins to pray first for his disciples. And then he, pr he prays for you and me. This is from John chapter 17, verse 20. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. But he says, but I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. See, here's what I'm trying to get to for us as a, as a church family. Jesus' desire here and the purpose for his sacrifice is not simply to get you out of jail. Some people think that they want to pursue Christianity or Adventism simply to avoid the bad place. Maybe you were taught that when you were little. Don't do this. You're not going to make it to heaven. Or if you do that, you're going to go to the hot place. Where? Mexicali? No. <laughs> Much hotter. And somehow we have been caught in this trap of believing, okay, the Christianity is just about avoiding bad circumstances and gaining some sort of blessings. But that's not what it is. It's not really about a place or a destination. It is about 
a person. Jesus says, I pray for them that they may be one the same way that I am in you and you are in me, that I would be in them and they would be in you. The purpose of Jesus' sacrifice, his death, was to pay for your sins. But his resurrection, resurrection makes it possible that you and I can get back to our origin story. That we would live under the blessing, under the provision, under the companionship of God. Jesus Christ did not die simply to liberate you from guilt so that now you're free from guilt, now you can go on your merry way. Jesus Christ liberates you from guilt so that you'll stop running from the Father. You see that? In the beginning, Adam says, I was afraid, so I hid. And Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I will take your place. You take my coat, I'll take yours. You are fully adopted sons. I'll be the orphan. I'll go to the cross and I'll die the orphan's death alone without anyone so that you can take my place. That's why Ephesians says Jesus makes it possible for us to be adopted through him. And the Father predestined this for us. This was his plan all along ever since we left the garden. He would not let it die that way. And so he made it possible for us. And he didn't want us just to be forgiven. He wanted us to be one. I and them just as you and I are one. And what's really cool about that, as Jesus says in John chapter 14, he says, when I go, I will ask the Father, he will send you another counselor. You know what counselor sort of means in the original language? It means ones that walk alongside with. See, God's intention when he sent us the Holy Spirit was to get us back into that relationship we had in the garden where we could walk together. Because when we could walk together, we can talk to God and say, I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do about this. And God could say, here's my advice. Here's my counsel. Here's what I've provided for you. Don't you want that kind of life? Don't you want the kind of life where when faced with a situation, God himself tells you what to do? Everyone tells me that. What does God want me to do? I don't know what God wants. Well, it's possible. Did you know that? It's actually possible. It's not like guessing. It's not like, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I hope you bless it. No, Jesus Christ came, died, and resurrected, and then asked God to send another part of himself. He sent us the breath back. Breath in our lungs that we could breathe him and live with him and walk with him. Walk with him. If you take a time to read the Bible and you find any major hero of the Bible, Noah, uh, Moses, uh, Enoch, they're described as heroes of the Bible because they walked with God. That's the expression. He walked with God. That is what God wants. That's our origin story. And friends, that is our destination story. The ultimate purpose of God is not simply to liberate you from guilt. But it's to bring you back. Your scripture for today says that the Holy Spirit's job is to transform us back into that oneness with God the Father. That we could hang out with him and not be afraid of him, not run and hide from him, but that God loves you. He made you. He put his breath in your body. And it is possible because Jesus' death made it so. 
liberates us from our sin, from our guilt, and instead gives us his spirit, gives us, returns to us his true breath, the true breath of life. And friends, I want you to know that this presence of the Holy Spirit, this breath of life, is a breath of freedom. It is a breath that allows you to live. It is a breath that allows you to enjoy and experience all the trees in the garden. Yes, there are some we got to stay away from. <laughs> but the invitation God makes to come back home into his house is not an invitation to a life of austerity and a, or a life of, of pain and or a life of sadness. It is an invitation to endure the trials of this world under the blessing and the provision and the covering and the unexplainable peace that being in the arms of the Father can only bring. Jesus has come back to me. Let, let daddy make it all right. No matter where you've been, no matter what you did, you're not an orphan. You are my son. You are my daughter. I want to walk with you every day. I want to bless you and I want to help you. I want to be compatible with you again, just like we were in the beginning. If you read the rest of your Bible, you'll find that in Revelations chapter 21, that's God's final, that's our destination, friends. That's where we're going. The Bible says, and, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no more tears, no more crying, and no more rain. No more clouds, no more rain. But we will be in the presence of God the Father, and there will be no separation. Well, the old order of things, the one that we brought into being when we walked away, that's gone. God says, I want to be with I want to be with you. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. Take us from our origin through our heartbreak and back to our destination. To have his breath in our lungs. To have his words and his life and his companionship define who we are. Don't you want that? Don't you want to live walking with God? Don't you want to live breathing him in? It is possible, friends. It is absolutely possible. It is what he promised. It is what he offers. It's what he gives. If you believe in that, and that's what you want for your life today, you got to open up your heart and your mind and your spirit for him. you got to let Jesus in. In the next few weeks here, we're talking about it every Saturday during our Connected series. We're going to be talking about it here. We want to talk about the how. How do we make it possible? What do we do? How do we participate? How do we let God walk with us, breathe into us? If you believe in that, then ask him, pray about it, and then believe that he'll make it so. That's what praising is. It's a statement of faith and something that hasn't yet happened, but you trust that it will. That's why we will sing songs of praise here. And why now we will sing, your praise will ever be on my lips. Would you please stand and sing with us?